Well, today is a good day. It's, can you believe it? 2019? 2019, I think, is one of those years I just never thought I would live to see, you know, and, and here we are. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to be here with you. I'm thankful, too, that today is a good day in part because in the, the study that we've had on Romans, we have reached Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are good and central verses in the Bible, in what it means to live as a Christian. I think, you know, I've been thinking about these. I, I've heard a lot of sermons in my day. I think I've heard quite a few on John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And rightfully so. That Those should be good sermons on that. I think I've heard some on Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which is likewise a beautiful favorite text. And I don't know if beyond John 3.16 and Romans 23, if there are any passages in the Bible, some of you will come up with some, I'm sure, that are more favorite than Romans 12.1 and 2. Which, I'm just going to say, is quite intimidating when you're a preacher and you have to start talking on uh, something that is so well-worn, something that is so completely covered that it's your turn to talk about it, but... That doesn't make it any less precious. It is absolutely a wonderful text. And one of the values that we have here is that we, we like to, to study God's Word from beginning to end and take God's Word in its context. In other words, we're reading someone else's mail. This was written to a different church than New Life. It was written to a church in Rome. And that church in Rome had their own problems. We are looking into somebody else's mail. And as we do that, we recognize that this particular passage, these particular verses, said something to them that they needed to hear. It's then our job to sort of translate what it meant to them to what it means to us. And if you recall, uh, these, these people had some problems. Okay? Quite unlike us, of course. These people had some problems. Their problem was they weren't getting along. There were two factions, a Jewish faction and a Gentile faction. And they couldn't figure out how they would get together and under what rules they would operate. But, Paul said, you know what? The rules of Jews and Gentiles, that's not what's important. What's important is the good news of what God has done in Christ. When you were, when you were lost, when the wages of sin was death, then what? Then the Gospel comes, the good news that is the power of God to salvation. That's what matters. That's what will make you into a new uh, group. Not a Jewish group or Gentile group. Not even a Jew-Gentile combined group. But a church. And guess what? That's what we need to. We need to, we need to get good and secure. Uh, we need to get what will make us into 
that kind of church. And as you recall, chapters 1 through 11 has all been about how God has acted in history through His Son, through His sovereign choice of people, through His mercy and grace, to bring them together. It has been theology. It has been theory. It has been ideas. And God doesn't want us merely to have good ideas about Him. If we just get to the good idea stage, we don't finish. We don't get all the way to the end. And so what Romans 12, 1 and 2 what, how it functions in this letter and what it does for, what it did for them and what it does for us is that it is a hinge in this book between the right ideas about God and the right uh, actions toward God. About what it means to believe and what it means to behave as a Christian. It is this uh, pivot point where what was theology now moves and becomes action. You can think of it as the knot that ties belief and practice together. So that we're not simply laying down a new law that says you all must behave like this. We're saying instead, because you believe like this, Romans 1-11, through then this would be the natural way that somebody who believes that would go through life. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is doing here. And so, as we look at it, I want you to see that it has that kind of function. And so, Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. And there, just in a few words, he gives us this central not this pivot point, this central link that, that links the, the belief and the practice together. And so what I'd like to do is to kind of go through it sort of slowly, and what we'll do is we'll see, we'll see really that the first part of it has to do with what we believe that leads us to make a commitment that then will shape the way that we live. And so there is sort of this three-part um, aspect to these verses. And he starts off with a, and I just had to highlight this, because I love the tone of Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you. He could lay down the law. He could he could pound his fist and shout and say, this is how you must live. He could command and control. But he doesn't. He simply lays out an appeal. 
It's a, uh, another way to translate this, the same word would be, I encourage you. It's as though he's looking at the people he loves and saying, you know what? This is really going to be good for you. I really, really hope that you will do this. That's the tone. And it's just a pleading with people to take seriously what he's about to say. So I appeal to you. And then he says, I appeal to you brothers. Okay, are you brothers and sisters, family members. What God has done when He adopted us as sons in, in Romans chapter 8. Adopting us as sons makes us family members. And so he's not appealing to Jews or Gentiles like he did in Romans 9, 10, 11. He's appealing to all of us. Saying, brothers and sisters, together, this is how we relate to one another and relate to our Father. And, and I just, the beginning that's just encouraged family encouragement, right? That's the way that he's doing this. As though, as though he was the, the father or the older brother at the Christmas gathering saying, let's, let's do this, family. He's saying, let's do this. I appeal to you, brothers. And then he said, by the mercies of God. Now this forms a foundation. This is the point of Romans. Mercies is not a it's not a technical term here for you know all of the things that you did deserve that you didn't get, all the you know judgment, all of the wrath, all of the bad that you deserve that you didn't get. It's not it's not a technical word for that. It's an all encompassing word, really, an idea that says all that God has done for you comes into what I'm about to ask you. Everything that God has done colors the way that you live. That's, that's what he's talking about when he's talking about mercies. The mercies are going to form the substance underneath the life that is lived for God. And what... I want you to think about the, the image I have in my mind of this when I say that Romans 12, 1 and 2 represents a Christian commitment that is the knot. It's the knot that ties together belief and practice. I want you to think of it in these terms. If you were to make a rope swing in your backyard, you would have a big limb, right? And you'd throw the rope over there and you would tie your knot. And your knot would be the thing that holds your swing up. You would be wise, however, uh, so that you're not a fail video on YouTube. You would be wise to walk out there and tug on your rope and test that limb. Is it going to hold? If it's good, if the mercies are good, the swing is good. Right? If the limb is good, the swing is good. If the mercies are good, the life lived for Christ is good. And so it all rests then on the mercies of God like that. And so, if that's true, I wanted to take just a moment to pause and say, we ought to consider 
those mercies for a minute. Now, I'm going to leave a lot of mercies out. I'm going to just touch on, well, selectively some of my favorites. Shall I just say that? I'm leaving out, I'm leaving out simple, small, tiny things like Romans 5.1 that says you are reconciled to God. Okay? I'm leaving out some pretty good things, just so you know. But if I go back to Romans chapter 3, he says, this is right after um, Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are justified by His grace as a gift. You are made right. That's what justified means. You are made right with God by grace. Apart from anything you deserve, apart from your religious practice, apart from your good life, apart from the money that you give, apart from any of that, it is simply as a gift of God that He will make you right with Him. Imagine that. He does it through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Redemption means that there has been a price paid for you. The redemption in Christ Jesus is that God gave His Son that you might be rescued from the life that you had. You might be brought back to life as we've sung already. You have been redeemed by Christ Jesus. And he goes on in the next verse says, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Now I love the word propitiation though I never use it outside of this room, right? Um, it simply means that wrath has been satisfied. That God's Wrath against sin has been taken away. It's as though you could see the ominous threat on the horizon that God was going to bring judgment only to have Jesus absorb all of that judgment for your sin. So that God then is satisfied. Say, I don't need to judge your sin anymore. I don't need to treat you as a sinner anymore. I can embrace you and treat you as my child now. That's what propitiation means. That's why I love that word. God is not angry with me anymore. Even if I mess up this afternoon, God's not angry with me. And... It is because of His blood, because of the blood of Jesus, to be received by faith. Which simply means, all that God's asking of you is to respond by faith to this offer. For Him to say, tell you what, these are the terms under which I will no longer judge your sin. These are the terms under which I will no longer be angry with you. You simply need to believe that I satisfied my anger when I put Christ on the cross. Simple. Too simple in some respect, right? That's what requires us to believe. That's what demands that we have faith. So to be received by faith. That's some of the mercy. I mean, that, that's pretty good mercy. Don't deserve any of it. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have trusted or received by faith Christ, God will not condemn you. Why not? He has no grounds to condemn you because the grounds He had to condemn you have been taken away by Jesus. That's what we believe about the cross of Christ. So then, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's just hard to imagine how good it is, really. Or uh, the end of Romans 8. It says, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else. Okay? So all of those things not covered by this statement, right? There aren't any. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Unbelievable. Just simply unbelievable. That's the hard part, isn't it? It's unbelievable. We have to believe it. God is going to love you regardless of angels or demons, regardless of height or death, death or life. None of that's going to be able to pull you away from His love. I'm just going to say, none of you have ever been loved like that before. That's the mercy we're talking about. Or we continue. Romans 9, 10, 11 are more corporate. They have more to do with Jews and Gentiles and this. But his, his conclusion even to God's work in history is this. Romans, just a few verses right before Romans 12, 1 and 2. God has consigned all to disobedience. The, the playing field is leveled. There are no favorites. There isn't a better race. There isn't a better... Um, tribe. There's None of this is better. It's simply everyone's disobedience. They all must relate to God in the same way. How is that? He showers mercy. He gives them what they don't deserve. He decides in His sovereign grace not to hold their sin against them because of Jesus. So He has mercy on everyone. So, are you going to believe that or not? That is what gets us. In fact, I think it's this, this uh, idea of mercy at the end of chapter 11 then that, that colors all of the discussion so far in Romans. That's what gets us to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. So if you believe all of this, then present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the punchline. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Which is kind of interesting. Okay? It makes a strong transition from the idea to the action. Which is what we're, I'm saying about these verses, right? Because what he does is he doesn't say, present your minds, study hard, understand correctly. He says, present your bodies. This is about what you do. Your life. What God demands or what rightly fits with all that we believe about Him is that everything that we have belongs to Him. So present your bodies. 
as a living sacrifice. It's interesting that this is a bodily response. Okay, there, this is not a, oh, there's a spiritual realm and an earthly realm. No. No. It is all, we are just all a person, one whole person belongs to God because of Christ. Do you not know? It says in 1 Corinthians that you're, um, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, you're not your own. He says, uh, you are, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, that's what He's asking for. Jesus has been the sacrifice for our sins. Now He is calling us to sacrifice our lives to respond to Jesus. This presentation is sort of an interesting thing. Because all it is is a presentation. Right? I mean, think about that. If you're going to, if you're going to make dinner, and you're going to take the dinner to the table, and it's, maybe it's going to look, it's going to have some asparagus, you know, sprigs on it, and some parsley on the side, and you're going to sprinkle it with some seasoning, and it's going to look great. You're going to make the presentation. The presentation is not the eating. The presentation is just the presentation. What he's asking us to do here is to make the presentation. To say, God, here I am. All of me. I belong to you. That's what he's asking. To make the presentation. Well, I, I thought a lot about this and began a practice a couple years ago in my own uh, time with the Lord in the morning. I usually read the Bible and I usually um, pray for you and pray for other things in my life. And then I write in journal. And I've started the practice, simply, of writing the same boring sentence in my journal every single day. And it's simply as this. I present my body a living sacrifice and my members instruments of righteousness. Period. That's all. That comes from Romans 6, right? So there's the Romans 6 part and there's the Romans 12 part. And what, what, I, what, what happens to me when I do that, that's why I'm telling you this, it's, you don't have to do that, but what happens to me when I do that is that I end up looking ahead in my day and I say, what is it that is going to require of me sacrifice today for the sake of Jesus? In order to obey Jesus and do what will please Him, what am I going to have to do today? And I look at my calendar. And I, some of the time I'm going to meet with a difficult person. And I have to come to grips with that in the morning. It's like, I don't want to meet with that person. Well, you are going to meet with that person. Okay. Lord, I want to, I'm yours in that meeting. I want to be yours as I talk to that person. Or what invariably comes to mind is um, how I'm going to serve my wife. There's so many things throughout the day that I would just as soon not do for her. (laughs) And they get called to mind then in this presentation. The presentation is not the doing. The presentation is simply this parenthesis between what I believe and what I'm going to do that says, God, I'm committing myself to, to being a living sacrifice today. 
And that, I think, is what he's inviting us to do, is to make the presentation. And it, unfortunately, I need to probably make the presentation over and over and over. Sometimes I mean to make it several times a day. It doesn't seem to stick for me. Some of you are better presenters. It might like last a long time, but for me, I have to do it over and over. And I present myself as a living sacrifice. In other words, I am... T- I think this is what he has in mind. I'm not presenting an offering at an altar and it will be finished in a few moments. I am presenting myself alive and it's not going to be finished. It's going to continue. I'm going to have to live sacrificing what I naturally might do to follow Christ. Now, living sacrifice has a, it has a religious tone to it. You'll notice all the next words really do. Living sacrifice. As though you're sacrificing something on an altar. Holy. That's what the priest would present the sacrifice. Holy. It is your spiritual worship. So he has in mind what is true worship here is not Religion, per se. It is not magic words that somehow you mouth when you sing or pray or anything else. It is your life. True religion is your life. This living sacrifice. And it is, it is set apart or holy to God. And made acceptable by the sacrifice of Christ. So that here I am, God, Set apart for you. That's what he's asking of us in the middle here between what we believe and what we do. It is your spiritual worship. What's interesting is that I don't think it makes secular things holy. I mean, if you were a if you were a priest at a temple, that would be ho- that would be holy, and there would be a holy sacrifice. There would be a holy altar. There would be, you know, set apart things there. But if you're a, I don't know, a, um, if you're a ditch digger or a bricklayer or a pig farmer or whatever you are, you're here. That isn't nece- that activity isn't necessarily like priestly work. What is alike, though, is the person who is doing the priestly work. That's what he's talking about. The the person becomes holy and acceptable. The person over here who is doing digging the ditches or or you know feeding the pigs or doing whatever, that person can do that work as unto the Lord for worship. It isn't about the activity; it's about you. And about the transformation that takes place in you as you present yourself to Him. As you know, we generally use the uh, English Standard Version or the ESV here. In this particular phrase, I don't, I don't love this particular translation, your spiritual worship, because there are two words there. One has to do with a priestly service or spiritual worship. 
But the ESV sort of ignores the other word. And I don't, I don't normally you know, use Greek words here in, when I preach. I just don't, I don't think it's um, what I should do. But I'm going to use one here. Because I think that even without knowing Greek, I think you'll get this. The Greek word here for your spiritual worship is logic cane. I'm going to say it more slowly. It's a Greek word, right? Logic cane. Right? It's not, it's not real hard, is it? It is your logical act of worship. It is the reasonable, another translation translates it reasonable. It is the reasonable response to all that you believe from Romans 1 through 11, everything that God has done for you, all of these mercies. The only logical response for you is to present your body. Everything else makes no sense. To say, you know what, I'm going to reserve all my stuff for myself and God, I'm going to give you an hour on Sunday morning, makes no sense. Makes no sense. What makes sense in response to the mercies is here I am, I present myself a living sacrifice. It is the only logical thing I can do. And that is the commitment here that then sets the table for the practical stuff that's coming. The next verse fleshes that commitment out a little bit more. It says, do not be conformed to this world. That's the negative. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's a negative aspect and a positive aspect to this. Do not be conformed has to do with the external expectations or pressure that you're under to be like everybody else. To be like all of those people around you. And I think about this. I I look around and I think, what does... It's not just an um, ethereal idea. What What does the world think expect me to be? But what do the people out here, outside here, value... What would they tell me? Good job, Scott. Hey, that's a really nice car. Hey, you, you really, you know, the way that you got your education or your, your degree, that's terrific. Or they would value, you know what, your kids, are, your kids are turning out pretty well. And the things that they value, then I turn around valuing, because they value them, I'm letting them conform me to their scheme. Do not be conformed literally to this age, to the spirit of this age, to the things that the people around you say are important. Resist that. Part of presenting your your body a living sacrifice is to resist getting shaped by the world around you. That's the negative side of it. The positive side of it is to be transformed. So the one is the pressure from outside shaping you into something you're not. The other is to be transformed or to have a metamorphosis from the inside out to be changed so that you then live as somebody that you are. Or, say it another way, what you believe 
bears fruit in the way that you live. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this, this hinge, this knot in the middle of Romans here at Romans 12, 1 and 2, takes what we believe and prepares us for action. And I would suggest to you that what is coming in Romans 12, 3, uh, Romans 12, 4, Romans 12, 5, and on to the end, that's what it means to be transformed. So not to think of yourself more highly than you should, Romans 12, 3, Okay, so that's don't be conformed. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. That's what it means to be conformed. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. So don't don't be apathetic, but be zealous. Don't let the world convince you that what you ought to be is um, detached. Rather. Be transformed. Be hospitable. So all that you see coming up in Romans 12, all of it has this, this two-sided thing. Don't be bitter. That's the end of Romans 8. But rather, love your enemies. Be transformed into a person who loves your enemies. So what he's doing is making that divide so that it is uh, descriptive of the people of God that this doctrine is given to create. You're to do it by the renewal of your mind. He is setting the table for what's coming in a moment. A new way of thinking is what transforms you. Now, I'm just going to stop here and... First of all, admit that when I've taught this before, I've done it wrong. And then, second of all, tell you why it was wrong. Okay? I treated this before with great vigor and encouragement to you to memorize Scripture. Because that will transform your mind. To think about whatever is good and pure and right and just. Philippians 4.8. That will transform your mind. But, you'll notice that this is not a verb. This is not something you are to do. He's not saying, get your act together and renew your mind. He's simply saying, you have been born again and now... Live like that because your mind is being made new by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 talk about the renewal of the Holy Spirit in your mind. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 5 suggests that this renewal, He has saved us not because of works of righteousness we've done, but according to His own mercy. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. His idea here then is that God has implanted a new life within you that is beginning to bear fruit in the way that you think and the way that you approach the world. And it's that new way of thinking that is germinating within you 
that is going to produce the metamorphosis that transforms you. And it's beautiful, really. And when your mind is being renewed, you will, by testing, discern what is the will of God. Now, don't think that this, again, is the, is the kind of will of God that we think. Okay? We, we tend to think, God, who should I marry? Where should I go to school? Which house should I live in? What car should I buy? God, what is your will for me? Okay, that's not, I don't think, what he's talking about. He's saying that God will change you so that you will begin to try it on. You will begin to test all of these things from Romans 12:3 and following that are a new way of living. You're going to try those on and see that yes, in fact, God's will for you is that your love is without hypocrisy. That you pray without ceasing. That you love the brotherhood. That you um, forgive those who mistreat you. That you are subject to the authorities. That you bear the burdens of those who are weak. And as you try those on, by testing, you're going to discern, that is good for me to do what God wants me to do. And you'll find it is good and acceptable and perfect. God's will, what God is going to tell us in these next several weeks, in the last part of Romans, is the practical will of God for your bodies in this world relating to other people. It will be good for you. It will be acceptable to God. And it will be perfect. Now, the, the perfection, none of us are going to do it perfectly. Another way to translate the word perfect would be to, to hit the target. The target or the goal is that you will live according to the will of God expressed in Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15. That is His will. That's the target. Now, I just, want to, I just want to stop and say, the target is not right ideas about God. I don't want you to have bad ideas about God, but Romans 1-11 through 11 is not the target. The target is getting to the end. Which means my body that has been committed to the Lord acts in certain ways in the world so that God's will is done through me. That's what this center part is. That is the commitment God is pleading with you to make so that you will live in the world in the way that He wants you to live. And that really is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is supposed to do. It's supposed to be that parenthesis in your life where you evaluate what kind of person do I want to be? And you consider the mercies of God. And as a result, the the logical result, you say, you know what? I want to be a person that gives everything, that sacrifices everything for Christ. And when you are, then you will live with a renewed mind 
like he suggests you live in Romans 12, 3 and following. Now, in order to make that happen, uh, in order to help that happen, we're just going to take a, a parenthesis even in our morning here. And we are going to celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. And what we're going to do when we do that uh, is we're just going to pause and reflect on the mercies of God. You see how this fits right in. This is not a you know, super spiritual experience that is disconnected from life. This is the reflection on the mercies of God that then propels us to commit ourselves uh, to Christ and live for Him. And so to stop and to meditate on the uh, mercies of God is really a worthwhile thing for us. So what we're going to do is during the next song, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats and either come to the two tables in the front or the two in the back and get the elements and return to your seat. And we'll all celebrate in a moment. But as you do, what I, I don't so much want you to say, oh golly, am I going to commit myself to the Lord? Am I going to make this commitment? I want instead for you just to reflect and to think about the mercies. And let that sink in for you. Let this be the time, maybe, where the rope is tied to the branch and you're tugging on it to say, are they good? Are they good? Are they really as good as I think they are? And so that's what I hope you'll reflect on as uh, we celebrate communion. Now, if um, I just want to say that this is, this is part of what we do as a church. It really is for those who have already trusted in Jesus to be their Savior, um, who have, in the words of the verses we looked at already, ex- believed or received by faith um, what Jesus has done for them. And so, if that's you, then by all means, we'd love for you to participate with us. If you're here just looking into it or exploring or maybe made a New Year's resolution to come back to church, that's Great, and we're really glad you're here. But if, if you don't belong to Jesus in that way, if you haven't trusted Him to be your Savior, then I would really just encourage you to take a few moments and to think about that while we're, um, while we're doing this. And you have the conversations with God that you need to have. Because there's going to be no substitute for you having that conversation with God Right now. So let me pray for us and then we'll uh, just remember the Lord as He has to be remembered uh, in the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we're just grateful. We're grateful for Your mercy that as we think about it, um, we recognize how little we deserve it. We recognize how Deeply we have offended You. How much more deeply than that You have loved us when You gave us Your Son and demonstrated Your love for us when He died for us. And so, Father, on the night that... uh, His last night that He spent with His disciples, He asked us to remember Him in this way. And so, would You help us to 
remember uh, mercy now in a way that causes us to believe, that causes us to commit ourselves to You by faith. So we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.